All right, here we're beginning with the uh, new parak on Davchaf Aleph and Aleph. In the Mishnayot, this is actually parak Dalid, versus the Gemara, where it's parak Gimel. The Mishnayot follow a different order. It deals with the Dushad Beta Knesset first, and then goes on to discuss the practices inside the Beta Knesset, which is what's discussed in the parak we're about to read. In the Gemara, they reverse them just because of topically, it has to do with the Megillah, this parak as well as the fact that it's somewhat connected to the previous parak. So therefore, in the Gemara Bavli, we have the parak now that we're calling parak Shlishi, is actually parak Revi'i in the Mishnayot, and then vice versa with regards to when we learn parak Revi'i, that's really parak Shlishi in the Mishnayot. The Mishnah begins, Akoreta Megillah, Omeid Vyoshev. First going to read the Megillah both standing and sitting. Kara Echad, Karua Shnaim, Yatsu. If one person reads it, or two people read it, then you are Yotze. As Rashi notes over here, and the Gemara is going to discuss this as well, when we say Karush, Naim, it doesn't mean that two people read it in a sequential manner. It's rather two people read it, Yachar, at the same time. So even though two people are reading it simultaneously, you're still Yotze. And the Gemara discusses why that is the case here, and why it may be different in other instances. Makom In a place where you have the Minag, to make the bracha, you make the bracha. Shalolivarech, in a place where they do not have the minhag to make the bracha, lo yivarech. As Rashi points out, lo yivarech here means you not that you do not make the bracha, but rather you don't have to make the bracha. If they don't have the minhag to say it, then you don't have to make it, but if you so choose, you can make the bracha. And the Gemara will clarify for us that here we're talking about the bracha after the Megillah, not the bracha before the Megillah. Now, B'Sheni V'Chamishi, on Mondays and Thursdays, and then on Shabbat and Mincha, Korim Shlosha. Then we read three Aliyot. Ein Pochatin Mehen, Ve'ein Mosifim Alehen. You can't have less than three Aliyot, and you cannot add more than the three Aliyot. Because, as Rashi notes for us, it's a weekday, and it's a Yemei Melacha, today the people have to go to work, and we can't be ma'akev, we can't delay people or cause them to have to stay later in shul. So we do the minimum of three, and then we move on. We don't have additional aliyot. Ve'in mafterim binavi. And there's no haftorah in these instances, no haftorah on Monday and Thursdays. And there's no haftorah at Mincha and Shabbat. Tosafot raises here an issue that's raised also in the Gemara in Bameh Madikin. The Gemara in Bameh Madikin, the Gemara in Shabbat, Dafchav Dalid mentions the fact that they did have Haftorah. Bismanak Zeirah, it seems, they had a Haftorah at Mincha time. And there there's a question, whether that Haftorah was from the Navi, or if that Haftorah was different, it was from the Ktuvim. But nevertheless, when the Gemara says here, in Maftarim ben Navi, that's one way to solve the problem. Yeah, it wasn't a Haftorah of Navi, but rather Haftorah Ktuvim. Or the other possibility is that it was a practice because of a Zeirah, because of a shatad chak that later, later fell away. Although the Ran mentions here that there are communities that were known to have a haftorah at Navi time. And in, he says, a cousin in Paras and Madai, there's some communities there that still know which haftorah to read at which mincha time. So it seems that the minhag persisted even into later times. But here the Mishnah tells us that for Derek Law, there is no haftorah in the afternoon at mincha time. So there we had the explanation why on Monday and Thursday, we do not have more than three aliyot because of the work issue. And Rashi notes the reason that we don't have more than three aliyot on Mincha on Shabbat is because it's a day, Samochla HaSheikha, 
it's late in the afternoon. Because they used to have a drush all day. I don't think it means literally all day, but all afternoon they had the drusha. And it was purchasing late into the day. And therefore they wanted to go back after Mincha to have Sudash Lishit before sunset. So they didn't want to extend or make it a burden on the people to have more than the three aliyot. The one who gets the first aliyah makes the bracha rishona in the Torah, and the one who gets the last aliyah makes the bracha achrona. I mean, there's only one bracha before the laning, one bracha after the laning, and that is the first person makes the bracha beforehand, the last person makes the bracha afterwards. We're going to see in the Gemara, there was a later institution that every aliyah, the person who comes up, makes a bracha before it, and afterwards, because zera mishum, because the fact that people were leaving in the middle of the Kriyata Torah, or they were coming in in the middle of the Kriyata Torah. And so because of that, they instituted there be a bracha around each aliyah, and not just in the beginning and at the end of the laning. Then we move on to the next category, which is, On that day you read four aliyot, again, no less, and no more. Rashi again says, why no more? Well, under Shkodesh, it is a day of Melacha, even though we're going to see that the Gemara speaks about it possibly being a day that doesn't have Melacha, is the Minaga Nashim not to do Melacha as a reward for their not participating in the Egel. And the question in the time of the Migdash, whether men also had the practice not to work on Rosh Chodesh. But in general, on Rosh Chodesh, people do do work. Rashi points out that it's mutar to do melechet davar ha'aved. Even though you can't do all melecha, you still can do melechet davar ha'aved. And therefore, there's a reason not to add on to the aliyot, because it will cause a delay in people's ability to leave shul. And if that's the case, you're going to stop them from doing what they have to do on that day. So therefore, we don't allow you to add on to the aliyot of Rosh Chodesh and Cholomoyed, that it's four is the maximum number of aliyot that you can have. Once again, there's no haftorah. On Rosh Chodesh or Cholu Shomoed, Ha Poteach Vachotein Batorah Mevarech Lefana Ule Acharei. The one who opens up says the bracha Rishonah. The one who closes says the bracha Chronah. The same thing that we saw in the previous piece or paragraph of the Mishnah, which is that the first person makes the bracha Rishonah, the last person makes the bracha Achronah. Zaklau. This is the principle. Now this is going to be very problematic for the Bavli because the Bavli says anytime you have Zaklau in the Mishnah. It comes to include something additional. Of here, the Zaklau can't include anything additional because you already cited the two examples that have this, which is Zaklau, Koshesh Bo Musaf, Beno Yom Tov. Anything that has a Musaf and is not a Yom Tov, doesn't have Easter Malacha associated with it, then Arba'a. Well, the two examples of that where you have Musaf and no Easter Malacha are Rosh Chodesh and Cholomoed. So Zaklau is the more classic sense of Zaklau and how we would read normally Zaklau in the Mishnah, which means it's a summary. It's giving you a principle to explain the two cases that you saw before, which is why do we have four aliyot? Because they have a musaf, which is a reason to add on an aliyah, but on the other hand, they don't have an Easter malacha, which is going to limit us to the four. Beyom tov, on yom tov, chamisha, you have five aliyot. Beyom akipurim, shisha, six aliyot. Bishabbat, shiva, and on Shabbat, seven. Ein po mehen, you can have no less than those number. So you can have no less than five on Yom Tov, no less than six on Yom Kippur, no less than seven on Shabbat. Aval mosifim alehem, but you can add on to them. Now, I'll come back and discuss that in one second. Umaftirim b'navi, there is a maftir in all of these cases, there is a maftir associated with the laning on these days. 
And again, the Mishnah says that the one who gets the first Aliyah makes the Bracha Rishona, the one who gets the last Aliyah makes the Bracha Chona on the Torah. Tosafot does question why we have to say that three times in the Mishnah. And it seems obvious Tosafot tries to come up with some reason, although it probably is just a stylistic thing that the Mishnah ends in each of these to demarcate the different paragraphs and have the same Lashon in each of them. So it's easier, again, when you're memorizing these things, it's much easier to have consistency in the Mishnah. Although Tosafot's looking for maybe a Chidush in why the Mishnah is repeating this. Now, the Mishnah said, Aval Mosifim Alehen. Pashtuda Mishnah, which says that you can't add on to the Mishnah, onto the Aliyot, seems to reference the previous three statements, which is Yom Tov, Yom Kippur, and Shabbat, which means that you can add on to all of these days. And now, in the sheet that Rashi, it makes a lot of sense. Rashi said the reason before you can't add on to the Aliyot by the weekday, by Rosh Chodesh, and by Cholomoed is because there is Malacha in those days. But in the case of Yom Tov, Yom Kippur, and Shabbat, where there's Isser Malacha, in that instance, we're going to say, you can't add on to the Aliyot. And that's what it seems, that's the diokat of Shitat Rashi here, that when we say, that means literally, you can add on to any of them. You can add on to the Yom Tov laning, you can add on to Yom Kippur, and you can add on to Shabbat. Not the laning, but you can have more than the Aliyot, the prescribed Aliyot that are here. And on Dav Chav Gimel, there's a Tosafot, and he says over there, says, because you're allowed to add aliyot in all three of these instances, so therefore we're able to do something with regards to the maftir, which is, we'll discuss when we get to Daf Chav Gimel. But you see, Tosafot agrees with the sheet of Rashi, that you're allowed to add on aliyot when it comes to Yom Tov, Yom Kippurim, and Shabbat. And sure enough, the Rambam paskins that way as well, that you're allowed to add on Aliot in all of these instances. There is a shita brought down by the Ran. The shita brought down by the Ran that says, that when it says Mosifim Alein here, it only references to Shabbat. It does not reference to Yom Kippur and Yom Tov. He says the reason is simple. He says that if Yom Tov, if you add on to the five, then it's no longer Yom Tov. Then it starts to look like Yom Kippur. But Yom Kippur, if you have the six and you add on to it, it stops looking like Yom Kippur and starts looking like Shabbat. Shabbat, which has seven, which is the top of the stack, if you keep adding on there, then it's not a big deal. So basically the Achirim that the Ran brings down, it says that it has to do with the Kedusha of the Yom. Yom Tov, which is the lowest of the Kedusha, gets five Aliyot. Yom Kippur gets six. Shabbat gets seven. And you have to maintain that differentiation. So the only one where it doesn't matter is Shabbat, because there's nothing above Shabbat. And therefore you can add on to the Aliyot of Shabbat, but none of the other cases, not on Yom Tov and not on Yom Kippurim. The Gemara further on has a sheet of Rabbi Kiva, which seems to make this more difficult, the sheet of the Ran more difficult. There's also a, another sheet that says that the same reasoning that was given by Rashi with regards to the Cholomoed and by Rosh Chodesh and the weekdays, that the work time afterwards is going to cause us not to add on to the Aliyot, they say the same thing applies by Yom Tov and Yom Kippurim. By Yom Tov, where everybody needs to go home to prepare the meal and needs to be engaged in the eating and the Simchat Yom, over there to tarry and shul and to have extra aliyot, would be a burden on the tzibur. And in Yom Kippur, where everybody's fasting, it also would be a burden on the tzibur. But Shabbat, where everybody's relaxed, there's nothing to run, there's an issue of oneg, but not like the Simcha of Yom Tov, because you can't prepare it, it was all prepared before. Over there, we have less issue, and therefore you can add on to the aliyot. The Allah is, interestingly enough, the Shulchan Aruch brings in 
Reish Pei Bet, Sif Aleph. He says, by Shabbat, Motzim, Sefer Torah, Bukurim, Bo Shiva'ah. If you want to add on to the Aliyot, you can add on to the Aliyot. The Shulchan like the Rambam, and says that you can add on on Yom Tov, you can add on on Yom Kippur, and you can add on on Shabbat. Haga, the Ramah quotes, And the Ramah agrees. He quotes from the Rambam, and he says, You're out to add on to the Aliyot. The Ramah says, The Yom Tov ain't no Sif. And he's quoting the Ran that we just quoted over here. And he says the Minag and Ashkenaz is not to add on to the Eliot of Yom Tov, Miyavad, Simchat Torah, Shemosafim Harbei. Except for Simchat Torah, where we do plenty of Eliot, more than any other time, because everybody's trying to get an Aliyah. So therefore, the Mi'ikar Adin, the Alochi is both according to the Shochanach and according to the Ramah, that you can add on Aliyot. And therefore, if for whatever reason there is a necessity to add on an Aliyah, you can't add on Aliyah in those cases. But the Ramah says that the Minog, in general, is not to add on Aliyot on Yom Tov. And we'd say, because of the Ran, and in order to maintain a certain semblance of hierarchy with regards to the Aliyot. And of course, the Mishnah Buru qualifies the statement that you're allowed to add on Aliyot and Shabbat, it just says you should be mindful of Torah HaTzibor. That if it becomes too much of a Torah HaTzibor, that you're adding on more and more Aliyot, then it's probably not a good idea. Alright, now the Gemara begins to understand what is unique about the Megillah here, as differentiated from the Torah. So in the beginning we said that a person reads the Megillah, Omed V'yoshev, standing and sitting. Tana, Mashen Ken B'Torah. That's not true by the Torah. By the Torah you cannot read it standing and sitting, you must read it standing up. Menahani Mileh. How do we know this? Because the Pazuk says by Moshe Rabbeinu, that you stand with me. Had it not been written in a Pasuk, I wouldn't be able to say this. So no one would be able to say this because it seems ridiculous or ludicrous. Again, we had the same statement in the Gemara and Tanit with regards to Hashem wrapping himself up in a talit, kilo is a shilach tzibor, and saying the yugimo midot rachamim. There the Gemara said, they quoted the same thing, which is, ilmalei mikra katu v'yavshar lo'omro. Kibiyachol af ha-kodesh baruchu ba'amidah. That pasuk seems to indicate that even a kodesh baruchu is standing, because it says, ata po amod imadi, stand along with me. So meaning that Hashem standing and Moshe is standing. And since we are talking about limuda Torah, meaning that Hashem is conveying the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu, so there is an indication that it has to be done be'amida. So that's where Kriyata Torah is done be'amida. Ve'amara bi'abau. So now we have another statement for bi'abau in the same context, which is minayin the rav shali yeshev agabe mita v'shenel talmido agabe karka. How is it that? What is the din with regards to a teacher? Can a teacher sit on a bed or on a chair and teach the talmidim who are sitting on the ground in front of him? So he says, how do you know that you cannot do that? That there's some sort of peer relationship between the teacher and the student. Hashem is the teacher here, Moshe is the student, and you, both of them are standing. So there is some sort of equality or equation between the teacher and the students, and the teacher should be on the same level as the students. Now what's interesting is that the Gemara in many other places describes many scenarios in which the Rebbe was sitting up on a chair and the Talmidim were sitting on the ground in front of them. 
And it seems to be that it was actually the practice that the Rebbeim sat up and the Talmudim sat around on the floor around him. The Ran here raises the issue and says, well, why do we find so many examples of not like Rabbi Abo over here, where the students are sitting on the floor? So he gives two answers to the question. One answer to the question he gives, based on the Gemara that's coming up here, that there's a distinction between the difficulty of that which you're teaching or learning. And we'll see that in a second, and I'll mention it when we get there. The other case is he says that it's a difference between the status of the students. That students that are ra'uilis micha, they can, you have to sit on the same level with them, you have to be on a peer with them. But students that are not ra'uilis micha, then you can leave that differentiation or hierarchical difference there. So he says it actually has to do with the nature of the student. The closer the student is to the nature of the Rebbe, then there has to be more parity between them. And when there's a big gap between them, then they don't have to have this type of peer relationship, and they can stay on the floor. That's another distinction that the Ron makes in order to reconcile Roy Bo's statement with other examples we have in Shas. So, from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu until the time of Rabban Gamliel, they learnt Torah standing. That means that the people who are learning, not only was the teacher standing, but the students were standing as well. After the death of Rabban Gamliel, there was a weakness that descended upon the world. They began to learn Torah sitting down. And that it was too difficult in order to learn Torah standing up. And people needed to be able to focus and concentrate. And they needed to sit in order to do that. They didn't have the strength or the ability to do it standing up. And this is the Mishnah at the end of Masechet Sota. It says, Mishemet Rabban Gamliel. After the passing of Ramiel, Batel, Kvoda Torah. That then we lost Kvoda Torah because the Kvoda Torah was that they used to stand up when they learned Torah. Now, all of a sudden, that was gone because the practice became to sit down for Limuda Torah. Katuva Charomer, one Pasuk says, Veshev Bahar. The Moshe was sitting down on the mountain. Katuva Charomer, Vanochia Mariti Bahar. I was standing on the mountain. So one implies that Moshe was sitting down when he was learning the Torah with Akarj Baruch Hu. The other pasuk implies that he was standing up when he was learning. So Rav reconciles the pasukim and says, when he was learning, he was standing up. Once he was reviewing it himself, then he sat down. In order to have it settle with him and to work it over by himself, then he sat down. He wasn't standing up, he wasn't sitting down. He was bent over. So it was somewhere between sitting and standing. Here's a third possibility how to reconcile here. In yeshiva eloshona kava. Yeshiva doesn't mean to sit, but rather means to tarry or to stay there. Shnemar rabim. That they stayed in kadesh many days or for a long period of time. So the yeshiv here doesn't mean literally sitting, physically sitting. It means to remain or to inhabit or to stay in a location. Rova Amar, and here's the final differentiation between the Psukim, a way to reconcile them. Amar, Rakot Meumad, Kashot Meushav. That the easier Sugyot, or the easier part of the Torah to understand, you do standing up. The stuff that's more difficult to understand, you sit down because it requires more concentration and requires more review and more energy input. So you don't want to use your physical energy for the standing. You want to put all that energy towards understanding it. And again, this is the way the Ran answered that question before about the difference between why Rabbi Yubo says over here you're not, that the teacher and the students have to be on the same level versus we have examples in Shaz where that's not the case. He says that this might be a possible answer that depends on the sugya. 
if it's a very difficult sugya, then the Rebbe can sit up higher so that he is miyushav. His mind is focused and he's able to teach it in a better manner. On sugyot that are easier, he should be on par, a par or a peer of the students and sit on the same level as they do. So here you see that in terms of limuda Torah and hearing the Torah, that originally everybody stood for that. And then later on the practice became to sit down because of the inability of people to stand up to learn the Torah. Now as far as Kriyata Torah and listening to Kriyata Torah, the Gemara in Brachot discusses the fact that when a person learns Torah, they have to, and we saw this also in the Gemara and Tanit as well, that a person has to approach the Limuda Torah as if he's Omid Bahar Sinai, as if he's standing at Har Sinai. Because we believe that the Torah that we received and the Torah that we learn today is a Shalshelet, it's a direct chain down from Har Sinai to us. It's a passing of the Torah from generation to generation, and it's as if we stood at Har Sinai to learn that Torah because our forefathers who did stand there have passed that down to us generation by generation. And so the Gemara there describes Mimura Torah as Ilul Har Sinai. It's as if you're accepting the Torah in Har Sinai. And just like the people standing at the base of Har Sinai were Beretet Ubiira, they stood there in fear and trembling and accepting and listening to the Torah, that's so too, that should be the individual's approach to Limuda Torah, that when they're sitting and learning Torah, that they should feel that Ema and Retet, they should be approached to Torah as if they're standing at Har Sinai. And therefore, it might be, and this is uh, the explanation of Limuda Torah to be standing, standing is because at Har Sinai, they received the Torah standing. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he learned the Kosh was standing up. So, so too we, when we learn the Torah, we should be standing. Now, because a holy Yeradi Olam, weakness came to the world, therefore we sit down for the Limuda Torah now, because we're unable to stand up for Limuda Torah. So now, that might have ramifications with regards to people listening to Kriyata Torah. People listening to the Kriyata Torah, they are also learning Torah. And since they are learning Torah, they would have the same dispensation here to sit down, just like someone who is learning Torah. Now, if you believe, like Ravva, that maybe the difference is between something difficult and something easy, then maybe you should have to stand up for Kriyata Torah, because that's not a difficult sugya. You're just listening to the Kriyata Torah. Maybe you should have to stand up for the Kriyata Torah. The Machloket actually manifests itself in the Rishonim with regards to a practice that the Rambam mentions and discards. And that is the practice to stand up specifically for the Aseret Hadibrot. That people have a practice that they don't necessarily stand up for all the Kriyata Torah, but when it comes to select parts of the Torah or Kriyata Torah, they stand up for that, including the Aseret Hadibrot. And the Rambam says that that is not a good practice necessarily because then people are going to come to think that there are certain parts of the Torah that are more important than other parts of the Torah. So if you're going to stand up there, you're going to give the wrong impression as if this is more important. The same way that the Gemara in Brachot says that they stopped the practice of reading the Aseret Dibro during Tefillah. They used to read the Aseret Dibro every day during Tefillah. But he says, Because of the Minim, they stopped that practice because the Minim were saying that's because that's the only part of the Torah that's really from Hashem, or that's the only important part of the Torah. So they stopped that practice, and they stopped saying Aseret Dibro in the public forum because of that. So the Rambam says the same thing with standing up for Kriyata Torah. You should say that it don't designate or make a certain debrot be unique in this manner because you're doing the same thing or causing the same problem that we had with regards to the placement of a certain debrot in davening. 
Rav Salavechik has a beautiful word there about maybe there is a difference. And then he says it depends on the Kriyata Torah. How do you view Kriyata Torah? So again, if you believe Kriyata Torah every week is Kilo, you're standing at Mamad Har Sinai, and we're reading the Torah, it's as if you got it at Har Sinai. And there's reason to believe that by Kriyata Torah more than just Stam Limuda Torah. And that's because of the way that we set it up. First of all, it's in public, it's in the Tzibur. And if you look at some of the Achronim, and they discuss the structure of how the Gabaim stand around the person who's getting the Aliyah, so they also described that Moshe Rabbeinu was on one side, was on one side accompanied by a person, and on the other side accompanied by a person. Therefore, we have Gabaim on both sides of the Torah. So there is a framework which is indicative of Mamad Har Sinai. If that's the case, then one should stand for the Kriyata Torah, because it's Ilu, you're standing at Har Sinai. So Rav Salavechik noted that with regards to the Aseret Dibrot, there are two different ways to read the Aseret Dibrot. There's Tama Elyon and Tama Tachton. What's the difference between Tama Elyon and Tama Tachton? The difference is how they are divided up. Tama Tachton divides up the Aseret Dibrot into Psukim. The Tama Elyon divides up the Aseret Dibrot into Dibrot. That, for instance, Shabbat, which is multiple Psukim, becomes one big Pasuk in the Tama Elyon because that's the whole Dibra. Versus the Lotir Tzach, Lotin Af, those items with regards to Psukim are one Pasuk, but with regards to Dibrot, the Dam Elyon, they're totally separate. They're all broken up because each one is an independent Dibra. And so what he pointed out was it makes a difference when we lane. When you lane with regards to the Aserta Dibrot, there's a Minog in different places. Some places read the Tama Tachton, some places read Tama Elyon. Everybody reads on the Shavuot the Tama Elyon. So when on Shavuot we read the Aserta Dibrot, there everybody reads Tama Elyon. The rest of the year, when you bump into it in Pashat Yitro and Pashat Et Hanan, which we have Please God, that next week in Shabbat Nachamu, do you read Tamalyon, Tamatachton? That is subject to different minagim. But the minagim by everybody on Shabbat is read Tamalyon. And so what Rosalvechik pointed out is that the Tamalyon makes the Aserti different than the Tam Hatachton. By Tamalyon, when you read it, Kidibrot, then it's clear you're trying to convey that this is as if you're standing at Har Sinai and giving over the Dibrot. That's why you're reading the Tamalyon. And therefore, maybe everybody would agree with regards to Shavuot, you should stand up for the Aseret Dibrot, because there you're reading it with Tamel Yom. The rest of the year, then it might be subject to the difference of whether you read Tamel Yom or Tamel Tachton. If you're reading Tamel Tachton, you're making like any other part of the Torah, and then the Rambam's right. You shouldn't distinguish it, you shouldn't differentiate it than any other part of the Torah. On the other hand, if you read Tamel Yom the rest of the year, maybe again there's a reason to stand up for the Aseret Dibrot because we are making it different than the rest of the Torah. You're right, because we're making it as if you're standing at Har Sinai in that case. The the way to solve the problem, and uh, we're coming up with Parshat Hanan, is not to stand up for the Aseret Dibrot, but to stand up for that entire Aliyah. So if you get up from the beginning of that Aliyah, then it's not making that one part unique. It's giving, you know, you stood up for the whole Aliyah, and it's much easier, and you avoid the problem that is mentioned by the Rambam. And of course, the best practice is to stand up for all of Kriyata Torah, and therefore, you'll never have that issue because you're receiving the Torah as if it was Bihar Sinai and standing up like the old practice of old where they used to stand up to learn the Torah. Right now, the Gemara continues with the next part of the Mishnah, which is Kara Echad Yatsu. So we said here, with regards to Megillah, you can have one person reading it or you can have two people reading it simultaneously. Again, the Gemara says, Tana Mashen Kain B'Torah. That's not true by the Torah. So now, why is that? So Tanrabanan, Bitorah, Echad Kore, Vachad Mitar Game. When it comes to the Torah, one person only can be reading the Torah. 
and only one person can be translating the Torah. Targum was the vernacular of the time, and that's the language that they understood, the Aramaic, and the Metargeim was so the people understood what they were learning or what they were hearing in the Kriyata Torah. So it's Echad HaKorea and Echad HaMetargeim. Only one person can read the Torah, only one person can be Metargeim. Uvad, Shloi Hei, Echad Metargamin. And you can't, as long as you don't have one person reading the Torah and two doing Targum, of course, you can't have two people reading the Torah. And you can only have one and one. Obe Navi, the Navi is different. Echad Koreh, when it comes to the reading of Navi, only one person can read it. Ushnai Metargamim. But when it comes to the Targum of Navi, then you can have two people doing it simultaneously. Uvad Ushnai Korim, Ushnai Metargamim. What you can't have is two people reading it and two people translating it. As Rashi points out over here, the purpose of Targum, it's for the Nashim and Amearetz, this is what we mentioned before in the Gemara, that they were not familiar with Lashon HaKodesh. That is the common language, it's the vernacular of the Bavliim. By the Targum, the translation of the Torah, it's important that they understand everything perfectly because it is the core of the practice of our mitzvot. But Navi, stories, other things like that, it's not as important. So there, we're not so makpi to make sure that only one person is saying it, and they get every single word that's there. So that's how Rashi describes the difference between why by Torah we only have one person being mitargeim, and by Navi we can have multiple pieces of people being mitargeim. Ube halel, ube migilah, afilu asara korim. By Halalu Migilah, even ten people can read it. Now Rashi eliminates the next line in the Gemara, Vasara Mitargamin, and you can have ten people translate it. Rashi eliminates it from the Gemara based on what we saw back on Dav Gimel. Back on Dav Gimel, the Gemara related that when it came to Yonatan ben Uziel, he went ahead and he wrote the Targum for the Navi. Unculus wrote the Targum for the Torah. Yonatan ben Uziel did it for the Navi. And then Batko came out and said, you know, who's revealing my secrets? And he was not allowed to write the Targum for the Ketuvim. Because it says there it has the Inyana Kates and the Inyana Mashiach that's found in Daniel. So they didn't want him to translate it. So from that Gemara, it sounds like there's no Targum on the Ketuvim. So Rashi eliminates the word tar- Targum here because there is no Targum when it comes to the Megillah. On the other hand, we know that we do have a Targum for the Ketuvim. And as Tosfot points out here, it was a Targum that came out of the later part of the Tanaim, later period of the Tanaim, and so we do have a Targum, and therefore there's no reason to erase it, because we're talking about the Targum, just not the Targum of Yonatan ben Uziel. So my taima, what's the reason behind all of this? We saw this also in the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, which is, Since these are very, I'll call them unique mitzvot, mitzvot that are beloved on the people, they make extra effort to hear it, and they're able to overcome the problem of multiple people reading at the same time. That's true by, we said that by the Shofar, we said that here by Halel and by Megillah, this idea that when a mitzvah is chaviva, then it takes on a world of its own, in the sense that people really pay attention, they really focus, and when they really focus, they can deal with multiple people reading. On the other hand, when you're dealing with the mundane, you're dealing with the Torah and the Nevi'im, those items that are weekly things, okay, they're important, but people don't have that sense of specialness or uniqueness with them, and therefore, they're not going to focus as much or concentrate as much. And so we have to cater to them and having that only one person reads and not make it difficult that our multiple people are reading. All right, now we move on to the next period of the Mishnah. Makom In a place where you have the minak to make the bracha, you make the bracha. Amar Abaye, 
Lo shanu elalacha That is only afterwards. Elalafaneha mitzvah levarich. When it comes to before the Megillah, there's definitely a mitzvah to make a bracha. Dama reviewed on Mashmol. Kol mitzvot kulan mevarich alehem over the asiyatan. All mitzvot you have to make the bracha over the asiyatan. Something asiyatan. What's over mean? My mashma dai over lishnadak tumehu. How do you know that lashon of over means beforehand? So that's what it says. Kol mitzvot. You have to make the bracha before you perform the mitzvah, which is the way that we perform all of our mitzvot. We make the bracha. You take the lulav. You make the bracha before you take the lulav. Anitlat lulav. Before you build a shofar, you make a bracha. Before we form any mitzvah, we say a bracha. Now, we've discussed in the past, part of the purpose of saying the bracha before the mitzvah is only to be mikavein, to direct your thoughts, direct your kavanah, direct your action that you are now involved in a mitzvah. So Gemara says, how do you know this word over the asiyatan means before you actually do the mitzvah? So, my mashmadahai over lishna daktumehu amrav nachum bayitzah makra. Pasuk says in Shmuel Bet, It's in the case by the death of Absalom. So Yoav tells Zachimatz that he may not want to be the one who runs back to tell David about this news because David is not going to enjoy this. This is not a day of good news. So he sends the Kushi to go tell David. Achimatz is insistent and he takes off after the Kushi and says here, He passed the Kushi. He moved in front of him. So that's what it means, vayavor. Avor means to go in front of. So here too, over lasiyatan means before you do them. And some say from here, which is, I'm sorry, Abayi Amar Mihacha, Abayi says from here, Vuhavar Lifnehem, by Yaakov Avinu, it says that he sets up his family in the two machanot, and then he walks in front of them. He passes before them in order to greet Esav. So again here, the word avar means to go before and some quote the pasuk from Micha, which is Vayavor Malkam Lifnehem Vashem Berosham, that their king passes in front of them, and now Hashem is in front of them. Now the Malkam here is a reference to the king, the king meaning Hashem. So the Malkam passes before them, and now Hashem is in front of them. Berosham, he's leading them. So Vayavor again means to go in front of. So Over the Asiyatan means to pass in front of, to be in front of. So that's why when we say. You do a mitzvah, you have to make a bracha over the asiyatan, means prior to the doing of the mitzvah. Now you could ask the question, which is a good question, why not just say, lefniye asiyatan? Why do you use the word over? Why don't you just make this simple and say the word lifnei? So there is a Gemara in Menachot that speaks about the issue of tefillin. And by the issue of tefillin, it says there that one puts on the tefillin they can only make the bracha, for instance, by the tefillin shayad, once the tefillin is on your arm, but before you tighten it. But if the tefillin is still in your hand, you can't make the bracha on the tefillin, because that's over the over. That's before the before. So that's too far away. The, mitzvah, the bracha can only be made when you're involved in the mitzvah. And so that might be what the word over means over here. Over means to be engaged in, not only to be before, but also to be engaged in the mitzvah. And if you look at all the examples that are brought here, in each of the instances, the vayavor means that they engaged in something and that caused them to go before. Like by Yaakov Avino is the best example. He first takes care of his family and then he passes in front of them, goes in front of them. So, so over here, the need to say the bracha over the siyatan is not only beforehand, but it has to be adjacent or immediately beforehand. And you have to be osik in the mitzvah. You already have to be getting ready. You have to have the lulav in your hand. You have to have the shofar in your hand. You have to have the maseh mitzvah 
right there, or you have the tefillin on your arm already before you make the bracha. So that's maybe one reason why we use the word over. The other possibility that is brought by the Shagas Aryeh, Shagas Aryeh says the word over can mean both things. It can mean over to be in front of, and also it can mean after. Avar can mean after. And based on that, the Shagas Aryeh paskins, that if one did not make a bracha before the mitzvah, they're entitled to make the bracha after the mitzvah. There's a big chiddush there. That a pirkat mitzvah should be said beforehand. But if you don't say it beforehand, you can say it even after you have performed the mitzvah. And he bases on the fact that here, the word over is used, over la siyatan, which has both meanings. It means before, and it means after. And so yes, the better way to do it is before, but if you don't do it before, then you can say it even afterwards. So those are two different reasons as to why the Gemara uses the Lashon Over instead of Lifnei. Okay, Lefana, Maim Evarech, what is the Bracha before the Megillah? Rav Sheshet Mikatrizi'ah, Ikla Lekamei Dravashi, so Rav Sheshet from this location went before Ravashi, Barich Manach. He made the Bracha of Manach. As Rashi describes as what's Manach, Manach is Mikra Megillah, Nisim, and Chetishachiyanu, the three brachot that come before the Megillah. The Ran over here points out as well that here the Gemara makes no differentiation between the nighttime and the daytime, as opposed to by Nerot Chanukah, where the Gemara makes the differentiation between the first night and the subsequent nights, that the first night's three brachot, after that it's only two brachot. Over here the Gemara makes a statement without any qualification, and therefore the Ran says that you should make both, all three brachot, both at nighttime and during the day, and we saw before again the Ran Shito that the Iker Kriya is during the day, and therefore we make a Shechianu during the day as well, on Mikra Megillah, even though we read it the night before. What is the Bracha afterwards? So, Baruch Ata Hashem Elokeinu Melech Olam, Haravet Rivenu, Adan Adinenu, Vanokem Et Nikmatenu, Vanifralanu Mitzrenu, Vamishalem Gomol Ucholo Veinavshenu, so here it's a praise to Hashem for basically standing up for us and taking care of us, which is the story of the Megillah. The story of the Megillah is that Hashem interceded on our behalf and saved us from our enemies. So the bracha reflects that. The one who battles our battles, the one who takes care of our retribution, the one who saves us and pays back our enemies. So therefore, Baruch HaTashem and Yifra Lissom who pays back the enemies on our behalf, so that we don't have to do it, Hashem does it on our behalf. So now the Gemara says, Rav Amar HaKela Moshiach, that, that the Baruch should end also with HaKela Moshiach, which is Yifra Lissom Mikotzarem HaKela Moshiach, Amar Papa Hilkach Nimrinu Lutarvayu. This is Rav Papa that we've seen so many times, we mentioned in the Gemara in Tanit, we mentioned the Gemara in Brachot, Brachot with regard to there are two opinions what to say. And he says we should say both of them. The Gemara Tanit with regards to the Birkat Geshem for the first rain. Over there, there were two opinions about what to say. Rapapa again says, We say both of them. And once again over here, Rapapa again says, We say both of them, which is our practice to say both of the conclusions here. Both Anifra Yisomi Kozuram and Ankelo Moshiach to reference the two aspects here, both that Hashem takes retribution on our enemies, as well as the fact that He saves us, that He brings us salvation. And so, therefore, Rav Papa, and we've spoken about this in the past, is the compromiser, and he does this ten times in Shas, and those ten times are then reflected when we say the Hadran Alach in the Gemara after Masechta that we mention the ten sons of Rav Papa. 
connected the ten times that our Papa reconciled and was a person who brought peace or was able to include multiple opinions so that we reflect that in his ten sons. So now, the question that Ron asks over here is that he doesn't understand the nature of the bracha afterwards. He says, when the guards do other brachot, for instance, let's talk about halal. By halal, you have a bracha beforehand, likroat halal or ligmorat halal, and then you have a bracha afterwards. The bracha after the halal does not start with baruch. It starts, elucha Hashem akom and then it ends with the baruch. Why? Because it's a bracha smukhada It's a bracha that is close to another bracha, or it's a bracha that already has an opening bracha. Why is that? Because the halal began with the bracha, then the halal itself is not an interruption. The halal itself is the ikar part of what you're doing. And therefore the closing bracha is smucha to the bracha that you opened with. Telesaphot also says this with regards to Kriyat Shema. The reason that the birkot Kriyat Shema and the brachot that are after Kriyat Shema don't start with the word Baruch is because the ones beforehand had a Baruch associated with them. And Kriyat Shema does not interrupt. And therefore they're a continuation. They're smucha to the bracha that is beforehand, and that's why they don't need a bracha to open. So why don't we say the same thing over here? Why does the bracha that is after the Megillah begin with Baruch, and not start without Baruch, and then just conclude Baruch, because it's a bracha smuchah that was only interrupted with Kriyata Megillah, which is topical. So for that reason, the Ran says that the bracha here is not on the Megillah. The bracha here is a separate bracha of Hodal Hashem, Alanes, but nothing to do, it's not a bracha on the Megillah itself. And therefore, that's why they had to create a baruch before and afterwards, because it's topically different, or it's not part of the Kriyata Megillah. And that's why the bracha is set up as a starting with a baruch and ending with a baruch, and not considered to be smucha de cheverta, to the bracha that we make before the Megillah. Alright. B'sheni u'b'chamishi b'shabbat b'mincha korin shlosha. So you have the Monday, Thursday, and Shabbat mincha, you read three. Hani shlosha keneged me. These three aliyot, what are they built upon? The three books of Tanakh. Who we're going to give aliyot to. So now, what's interesting here is that we could have come up with a reason for any number. And if you give a number, and the Gemara will do that. For all the numbers, we'll have some sort of parallel. So I don't think the Gemara is asking necessarily the reason why it's three. And that's not what they're asking. This is the exact reason. What they're trying to do is say, what is the significance of the number three? Why do we pick three? Or why do we pick five? Are these numbers that we have paradigms or examples in the Torah where this number has significance? And that's why Chazal picked such a number. So they picked three because three has significance in other areas or has significance in many places. And therefore, it's a good number to pick. It's not the reason they picked three, but it is enough of a reason to say that this has Significance, and that's why we have the three aliyot. What are you going to do with the statement? Rav Shimi says that you have to have a minimum of ten psukim in Knesset. Now, if you say you have three aliyot, ten doesn't divide by three so easily. So now says, Even though it's not something special in a pasuk, it counts as one of them. Those ten psukim, what are they connected? It's connected the Aserah Batlanim Shebeit Knesset that we spoke about in the Gemara in earlier about the ten people that are designated from the Tzibur to be in the Beit Knesset all day, whether to learn, to be there for the Minyanim. 
That's what the Esarab Sukim is, Kenegad Esarab Batanim. Again, we see the significance of 10 in the context of Beit Knesset. Rabbi Yosef Mark, Kenegad Esarat Adibrot. We have the Esarat Adibrot, Shinemar Moshe Misinai. Again, this idea that Kriyat Torah is somehow connected to the receiving of the Torah at Har Sinai. It's connected to the 10 utterances by which Hashem created Shbehem Nivra Ulam, that Hashem created the world. Here, the Esarat Mamrot, Esarat Adibrot, or the Asarab Batlanim, all these giving significance to number 10 in the context of Limuda Torah or Kriyata Torah. So, hey, Ninhu, what are these 10 Mamarot Shiboni Vraulam? So, when it says Vayomer de Breshit, every time it says Vayomer in Mazeb Breshit, that's the Mamarot. So, when it says Hanit Tishavu, there are only nine of those. So, when it says Breshit Nami Mamarhu, the word Breshit also functions as a Mamar, Tichtiv, Tvar Hashem, Shamaim Nasu, Uberuach Piv, Kotzvam. We see that the Devar Hashem created the Shamaim. So Bereshit, Barah, Lugim, Shamaim, Yitaretz. So there, Shamaim Baretz was created Bidvar Hashem. So we see that's also considered to be a Mamar or a Dibur. And that's how we have the Asara Mamorot that are mentioned here in the Mishnah in Avot. Amar Now that we have ten Psukim and three Aliyot, it's pretty obvious that two of the people are going to get three Psukim and one of them is going to get four. Which one of them is going to get the four Psukim? So Rava basically presents here, which is that if any one of them that got four would be okay. The fact that whether it's the first Aliyah that gets the four Psukim, whether the second Aliyah that gets the four Psukim, or the third Aliyah gets the four Psukim, all those are good. Why? Because it's going to show you that we have precedent for giving priority to the first, to the middle, or to the last. That you had the, by the Chumat Alishka, they used to take out three baskets upon which they were written, Aleph Bet Gimel, and used to be Toreim Alishka. Why did you put Aleph Bet Gimel on the baskets? Why does it matter when you're doing the Chumat Rishon To know which one of them was taken first. To bring from that the Korbanot Tzibur first. Because the mitzvah is to use the first. So here we see that there is priority or precedence given to the first. So therefore the first could get four psukim and we would make sense to us. The middle one gets four psukim. That's also why the Tanya. When it comes to the menorah, that all the nerot pointed towards the middle of the menorah. That all the candles face towards the middle one, which was the Nera Marvi. The Nera Marvi faces towards Akarish Baruchu. This is only according to the Mandamar, it's a machlok in the Gemara Menachot, as to which direction the menorah stood in the Kodesh. This is according to the opinion that the menorah ran north south. Since the menorah ran north south, the Nera Marvi is considered to be the middle Nera, the one that is part of the body of the menorah. And that faced the wick, faced towards the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And then the others on the side faced inward towards that middle one. So that's what he's describing over here. So here you see the significance of the middle. The middle one is the most significant. So so to over here, if you gave four psukim, then that would be considered to be a mishubach. From here you learn that the middle one is considered to be the best. If you give the four psukim to the last one, that's also Mishubach. Mishum, Malim Bekodesh, Velo Moridin. That we always try to be Malim Bekodesh, Velo Morid. Rapapa Ikla, the Beik Nishta, the Beik Gubar. 
And he read the first Aliyah with four Psukim, and Rav Papa praised him. And the truth is that if we would, if we had the choice, or we can, we would try to have four Psukim for everybody. If we don't, then we give the four Psukim to the last Aliyah, following Malim B'Kodesh, Velo Mori Din. There's only one time in the year where we don't have ten Psukim to read, and that is on Purim itself. On Purim itself, we read from the Pashat Amalek, from Pashat B'Shalach, which only has nine Psukim in it. And therefore we give out three Eliot of three Psukim each, and we don't reach number ten. Tosavot mentioned before, the Ran mentions it over here, why don't we just add on another Pesach? Why don't we just read more? He says that we only add on Psukim, or read more, when it's topically relevant. But if it's not topically relevant, we're not just going to add Psukim. To read into Parashat Yitro doesn't make sense over there, because it has nothing to do with the Inyana Diyoma. So therefore we're going to stop at nine Psukim, we're not going to add on any Psukim, and that's the only time of year where we read Naim Psukim, and give out a liot of 3, 3, and 3, and don't have the last aliyah have 4 Psukim. Okay, in pochadim en, ven mosifin alen. So now Gemara says, Tana apoteach mevarech lefanea, v'choteh mevarech l'acharea. The one who gets the first aliyah makes the bracha on the first, uh, the beginning bracha, and the one who gets the last aliyah makes the last bracha. Vayidna. Today, the kulu mevarche lefanea l'acharea. Every aliyah makes the bracha before and afterwards. Hainu taimo. That is a takanat rabbanan. Because some people leave in the middle of the laning and some people come in the middle of the laning. So those that leave in the middle of the laning won't hear the bracha achrona. And those that come in the middle of the laning won't hear the bracha rishona. Therefore we have each aliyah be almost in a sense its own world by having a bracha before and afterwards. So they're self-contained. Each aliyah is self-contained and has a bracha beforehand and bracha afterwards. Also think that it's uh, much more difficult today we have people maintain a sense of decorum and uh, have the bracha rishonah be in the beginning and the other bracha at the end and not be able to talk in between and not uh, be engaged in other matters in between. So that would be problematic in terms of having in the beginning and the end. People may not be able to do that. And therefore, having a bracha on each aliyah segregates each one out and therefore ben gavra the gavra, we're more makil in terms of what people can do or what they can speak about even though you're not allowed to speak mundane matters, you're not supposed to speak Ben Gavra the Gavra, but we're more meiko, you can say Mishabeirach, you can do things that are shayach to the tefillah, that you can speak about if it's relevant, so therefore this gives people an outlet for that space between the aliyot. Alright, now, the remark continues, how do we read the Parashat Rosh Chodesh? So let's discuss here, what is the problem of Parashat Rosh Chodesh? The problem of Parashat Rosh Chodesh is that we just indicated that Rosh Chodesh gets four aliyot. Now, the Parashat Rosh Chodesh comes from Parashat Pinchas, by the Musafim. We read the Parashat of the Tamid. We read Uviyom Shabbat, and then we read Vashay Chod Shechem. We read all three of those paragraphs. Why do we don't add on Psukim again is for the same reason, because after that it's not topically relevant. To read about Pesach on Rosh Chodesh isn't relevant. To read about the Korban Tamid is relevant because the Korban Tamid is brought every day. To read about Shabbat may or may not be relevant. The Ran says because sometimes Rosh Chodesh falls on Shabbat. Okay, I would have just said that because it sits between the Parshat Tamid and the Parshat Rosh Chodesh, so you read straight through. The problem is that the way it breaks down is that the first paragraph, the Parshat Tamid, is eight psukim. The second paragraph, which is a Yom Shabbat, the Korban Musaf, is two psukim. The last paragraph of Rosh Chodeshem is five psukim. You have to now divide that up into four individuals, each one of them getting three psukim. So that wouldn't be so hard because you have and this number of psukim. All you need is 12 psukim, and that you have here. You have eight, two, and five. 
which serves as a 15 psukim, it certainly suffices. The problem is, and this is going to be discussed in the Gemara in a second, I'm going to preview with it with you so you understand the issue, is that the Gemara says here you're not allowed to end a aliyah within three psukim of a parsha. You're not allowed to begin an aliyah within three psukim of a parsha. That's gzera mishuna nichnasim, gzera mishuma yotzim. The same problem we have here with the brachot before and afterwards, because the people entering late or leaving early, if you leave early and you don't leave three psukim left to the parsha, they'll think that you can have an aliyah that's less than three psukim. Or someone comes in and sees that you've stopped within three psukim of some point, they're going to think that the previous aliyah was only two psukim. So in order to avoid that problem, we never stop within three psukim of a paragraph marker. So that's what creates the problem here. How to divide up the aliyot. Because in terms of the eight psukim, you can't divide it up into three aliyot. You can only divide it up into two aliyot. Well, then what do you have remaining? Then you have a paragraph of two and a paragraph of five. That can't be broken up into two aliyot. So now you're stuck in a position where you need to break it up into four aliyot. The parameters in which you are given, which is you have to have three psukim from the beginning, three psukim from the end, and not stop in the middle of a paragraph like that, doesn't leave the option to get four aliyot with three psukim. It's the same problem that we saw in the Gemara Tanit with regards to the Mamadot. By the Mamadot, for Breshit, there's a parshia there of five psukim, and then a parshia of three psukim. And you have to give three aliyot. How do I deal with three aliyot when you only have eight psukim? So the Gemara solution that they give there will also be the solution that they give here for Shkodesh. Right, so now let's read this inside. How do we do it? That's Apesukim. How are we going to break it up? If you bring up two aliyot of three Psukim each, then you're left with two Psukim in that little paragraph. You're not allowed to leave over a paragraph. You're not allowed to stop with the less than two Psukim left to a Parshia. Okay, so just call up two people. Each one will get four Psukim. So now you have a problem. Pashlahu Shiva. You only have seven psukim left. Umbiyoma Shabbat having train. Yoma Shabbat is two psukim. Rashaykhoshem having chamisha. And Rashkhodesh, Rashaykhoshem is five psukim. Hechinavid. What are you going to do? Nikri tre meha vachan mehanach. What are you going to do? Read two for Yoma Shabbat and one for Rashaykhoshem. Ain matchlim pasha pachot mishlashab psukim. You can't start a pasha less than two psukim, less than three psukim away from the beginning of that parsha. So, Oh, so what? You read two psukim from Yom HaShabbat, and then three psukim from Roshech HaShichem. The problem is, then you only have two psukim left, and you can't leave over two psukim, and also you need another aliyah, and you need a minimum of three psukim. So, I didn't hear the solution to this problem. But I heard something similar. And this is the Mishnah that we saw in Tanit. Breshit Breshit is split into two aliyot. Yehirakia is one aliyah. Bavinamba. Bishlama Yehirakia bechad. I understand why Yehirakia is one aliyah. That's lata psuki avo. Because that's three psukim. El breshit bishnaim chamisha psukim avo. How can you read breshit in two aliyot? It's only five psukim. Betanya. Korei betorah lo yivchot mishlosha psukim. And whoever gets an aliyah doesn't get less than three psukim. Ve'itmar Allah. And there we have the machloket amuraim as to the solution. Rav amar dolei. Ushmul Amar Posek. Rav says, Doleg, we repeat one Pasuk. And Shmuel says, we split a Pasuk in half. Rav Amar Doleg. Rav says, Rav says that we read over a Pasuk a second time. My Tamad, Lo Amar Posek. Why doesn't he hold like Shmuel to break up a Pasuk in the middle? 
that any pasuk that was not divided by Moshe, we can't arbitrarily come and divide a pasuk in half in the middle. And Shmuel says, we do break it up. Chanina, who was a teacher of Sukim, teacher of Torah, I was in a difficult position. I was trying to plead with Chanina Gadol. He only allowed me to break up the psukim for the children so that they could understand it and they could grasp it. Because they're trying to learn. They're learning. So, why is the reason that he allowed him to break it up there? There was no other way to do it. So, Hachanami Shmuel says, there's no other way to do it. Shmuel Amar, Poseik, my time, Alo Amar Doleg. Why doesn't he allow you to repeat a Pasuk? Because if you repeat the Pasuk, you're going to end up with a problem of those that are coming in and going out, that you're going to be too close, two Pasukim away from one side, either from the end or from the beginning, and therefore it wouldn't be appropriate. Right? The Gemara continues down here for a little bit and comes to a conclusion, which is Hilchata is like Rav, Doleg, Ubeemsili, Dogan, and the middle one is Doleg. So you actually turn out there's a three-way machloket about how to read on Rosh Chodesh. The riff brings the mainstream shita, and the shita riff is that with regards to the first paragraph, we read the first three psukim, and then the third that's the end of the first aliyah. The second Eliyah begins again with Pasuk Gimel. You repeat it again. And then you read Dalit and Hey. That'll be the second Eliyah. And then the third Eliyah has three Pasukim left in the paragraph, plus Yom Shabbat. And then the fourth Eliyah is Rosheikh Chodshechem. And that is what the riff suggests, that we Paschal like Rab, Doleg, Ube-Emtsei, Doleg. Emtsei meaning the second Eliyah, the one we can deal with it. That's the one we do the Dilugan. The Ramban takes issue with this riff. It's interesting that generally the Ramban support of the riff over here. He takes a big issue with the riff. And he says, I don't understand. It doesn't, this, what does this do for you? Number one, it leaves you in a position where you're starting with less than two psukim away from the beginning. That's number one. So what have you gained by being delayed? The whole problem of not leaning in the normal manner is because you're going to leave over psukim, either too close to the paragraph or start too close to the paragraph. Here you're creating the same problem, being delayed. So the Rashba and the Ran and everybody comes to defense of the riff and explains that Dilug is unusual, so people know that it's different, or maybe we have no choice here, and this is the best of the worst options. Nevertheless, the Ramban comes up with a different solution, which is the Ramban says that we read the first two aliyot, you read four psukim, four psukim, and then the third aliyah reads of Yom Shabbat, and the first pasuk from the last of Rosh Chodshechem. And he says, There's, this is no worse then what you're doing, you're starting within two psukim in the beginning, I'm starting within, I'm stopping within two psukim in the beginning, that's fine too. I'm doing the same thing you're doing, and there I don't have to repeat. So the Ramban says, you read Yom HaShabbat, two psukim, and then Yom HaShabbat, the last pasuk. And that's how we solve the problem. Ah, what about the fact that the Gemara just passing like Rab Doleg? He says, that's not about Rosh Chodesh, that's by the Mamadot. They're passing the Locha like Rab Doleg, is the by Mamadot, the middle Aliyah, when you have three Aliyot, it makes sense to talk about a middle Aliyah, that's talking about Mamadot. By Rosh Chodesh, we don't repeat anything. The third approach is the approach of the Groh. The approach of the Groh is actually to read the first three psukim, is the first Aliyah. The second Aliyah reads from Pasuk Dalit through Chet. He reads the last five psukim of the first paragraph. And then the next Aliyah comes back and once again reads those psukim and then adds on also the psukim of Yom HaShabbat. 
those two additional psukim. And then the fourth aliyah reads Roshay Chod Shechem. So the Shulchan Aruch, the Ramah, Paskin like the Rif, and then it's a practice in Rov Tfutzot Yisrael, is that we repeat the Pasuk Amarta Lehem, because the Gra gave that alternate opinion, and in Eretz Yisrael, many times the uh, people follow the Minag Gra, and so there are practices, there are places in Eretz Yisrael that follow the practice of the Gra, and the way that they divide up the Sukim on Rosh Chodesh is according to that a division of the Gra, by which you read the first three psukim as being the first aliyah. The second oleh reads from Dal through Chet. The third oleh repeats the Vav Zayin Chet, the last three psukim of the first paragraph, and then adds on the two psukim of Yom Shabbat. And then Roshay Chachachem is the fourth aliyah. Now, many reject the Magin Avram and others reject the Gra's approach because they say the Gemara here says Doleg and it only mentions one pasuk, that you repeat one pasuk. The way the Gra has it, you're repeating three psukim. Where did you ever come up with this issue of repeating three psukim? Obviously, the Gros says that his solution is better because his, at least in his solution, you never end up with the problem that the Ramban's question on the Rif because you're not starting within two psukim and not ending within two psukim. And that's why the Gros sees his solution as being better even though it requires the repetition of three psukim instead of one pasuk. Again, the general Minog is like the Ramah according to the Rif, whereas there are places in Eretz Yisrael that follow the Minog Gros. Okay, we're going to stop over here.